0: for the persecutor.
1: Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton and we have back in our studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, uh, another of our one-named guests. Uh, we often at VOM Radio for security reasons, we don't use last names. So we are back with Uncle Monty. Uncle Mani is uh, really an uncle to persecuted church pastors around the world. He is celebrating 40 years of involvement with Christians, specifically in China. We're going to talk about that today. Uncle Monty, welcome back to Voice of the Martyr. Thank Radio. you,
2: Todd. Really great to be here.
1: Let's go back to uh, 40 years ago now. And uh, how how did you first get started working with Christians in China?
2: My first time in China, if you count Hong Kong, was nineteen seventy five but my first time inside China uh, was in nineteen eighty one. The pre- President of a mission agency and I just went on a tour with as part of a tour just so we could go in and begin to see what was going on. The images that i that I still have in my mind. Everybody was walking or riding bicycles. I maybe saw one or two cars the entire day. There were ox carts, lots of horses, and this was in the third largest city of China. That's that's how it was
1: forty years ago. It's changed. So it's changed a little little bit. Yeah,
2: (laughs) a little bit.
1: So how did you transition from going in as a tourist with a tour group? to being able to sit down with house church pastors and open the Bible and open the scriptures and fellowship together and encourage each other?
2: Well, I was a missions pastor at uh, three mega churches over the years in Seattle and Los Angeles and Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, I met a man who had just retired he and his wife were now living in Hong Kong. He was serving as kind of the um, the first stop along the trail for people who would take Bibles in or take money in and do various things to be helping the church. They would first stop with, with this couple. And so I, I met them, and they said— you would really love to uh, do some work with the underground church. They introduced me to some people, and then I began to meet— and made a, a really good friend who had been living uh, in China for quite some time. He began introducing me to um, five of the six largest house church networks and all their uncles. And we began having many meetings all over the country with these with these men, probably 10 to 12 meetings I had with them. And they began to get me involved in doing training in lots of their cities. But then I started... Uh, the last 14 years I began primarily just working in in one specific province, and it was with um, um, missionary training schools. And so these were ones who were preparing to go as missionaries to other parts of the world, primarily to uh, the Muslim world.
1: Uh, you know, we have talked in recent years about the the cameras everywhere in China and the facial recognition and obviously different than it was 40 years we ago. We could not
2: do what we were doing 10 years ago now.
1: Yes. I, that's all what of I it has
2: changed. To. It's all changed. And in fact, uh, three and a half years ago, we were told by our Chinese friends, it's so dangerous now for you to be here and do what you're doing and so dangerous for us to be with you or for us to be doing any of that that we can't have you come anymore. And so um, I have not been to China for three and a half years. And it's broken my heart because yeah. I was doing that for so long. Yeah. In fact, I was going about four times a year for 20 years. We figure close to 80 times. Wow. I, I was going just just training in, in with un, underground church uh, networks in China. And two in particular, uh, two days after I, I, I left, then the police showed up and raided every, uh, all the, the place and everybody was arrested and all of our, everything was confiscated. We lost everything and, and they had to the, start
1: all over. Did the police know you had been there? Yeah, like, they were showing
2: my picture and uh, saying, saying who is this man and what, what can you tell me about him? And so I know that that's been going on since the very beginning.
1: Money. As you talk to these Chinese future missionaries who are, who are going to go to Islamic countries, they're going to go to the Middle East, they're going to go to Pakistan. In fact, two Chinese missionaries were martyred in Pakistan. How does the training for a missionary from China, living in hostility, living in persecution, differ to go to a Muslim field than it would be training for for me as an as an American Christian? my My
2: wife and I have both been uh I'll just say in the Middle East with uh workers there that I trained in China, wow, okay, and it was just absolutely so much fun to be with them and see see all that God had done through them and we we've kept going back and going back, and the things we could tell you it would just astound you, but they said, well, in class, you told us all this stuff. But we didn't pay a lot of attention to it because you were just an American, and and because um, we didn't think that it probably was important, and and so forth. They 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 shared a lot of excuses, and then they said, but once we got to the field, we realized we were way over our head, and that we should have paid attention. Interesting, and that we desperately needed all that. And they said, you know what, and they said now it would be far better that you didn't do any training for us inside China, because it's so dangerous anyway, let us come out, and we'll come into the Middle East, and we'll gather our people around every once in a while, and this is what they've now begun doing, and you can take 40 of us, and you can teach us for a week, and now you have our undivided attention. We we know exactly what you're saying. Uh We know you're not exaggerating. We know that this is what we need to hear, and now our lives depend on it, and we're hanging on every word. That is what the Lord has allowed us to do, is now go and be with many of our friends, be with our, like my sons and daughters, and and see what the Lord has done through their lives, the thousands of people that they've touched, uh, a whole people movement that has sprung up among uh, some refugees who've come out of uh, uh, Syria. We'll just leave it at that. But there's lots of things that... Um, Uh, would be exciting to be able to uh, share with our listeners uh, one-on-one.
1: Monty, are there particular Chinese Christians that you have known that have inspired your faith, that have inspired the way you follow Christ? Share some of those stories.
2: One is a couple that designed pearl jewelry— They did it with their mom, his mother, and father because that's what their business was.
1: The family business. The family
2: business. And um, our ministry, VOM, got involved with them and began to help uh, sell uh, some of their pearl jewelry in America. From that, they had decided to save as much money as they could. And they had a very noble project. The Noble Project was uh, when their second child was born—they had three girls—when their second child was born, they, at that point, had decided not to take her life and have her uh, aborted, but to have her be be born. And in doing that, they still could uh, make her legitimate— and I know I'm sounding funny, but could right. make her legitimate with the government if they pay the $3,200. That would be the fine, the
1: fine for having, for a, second having a second
2: child. Well, they didn't have $3,200. And so this child had no official name with the government, did not could not go to school, could not get any um, medical help. Wow. Uh, did not exist. Yeah. This child did not exist. Then they had a third girl, and the same thing happened with her. So they had two girls, and they had to raise now $6,400. They didn't have any, and so they began uh, selling this uh, pearl jewelry. They they saved their money for a long time until they had enough where they could then buy— um, all the papers so these girls could be legal, and they did, and they're precious girls. Uh, I've been with them. So they did that, and then they kept on saving their money, and they tried to learn some English, and they wanted to get more schooling, and uh, I'm going to just say this. They went outside China to a school that taught the Bible— And they then uh, graduated from that school. And then they went back into China as workers in the far uh, west of China because their goal was to work with the Uyghurs. They're the largest uh, Muslim minority group in China, nine and a half million people. And they're very much persecuted by the Chinese
1: government. Very much persecuted. The Chinese government would see this family. They they would have a lot of problems with what they're doing. They're they're they Christians, would, but it
2: would be hard for them to track them because because they're they're not on the traditional
1: um, uh, radar. What are some of the ways that that the church in China is operating differently than it was forty years ago? Has it changed? Yeah, uh, and and what are some of the ways that that being a Christian in China has changed?
2: This will be a rough estimate. Uh, 80% of the Christians 40 years ago were in unregistered churches. 15% were in registered churches, which means they were uh, government-sponsored, and they had quite a number of restrictions that you had to follow. And then there was a a small group that would be in um, the—like a young adult, kind of like 20s and 30s in big cities that would kind of— Drift from city to city, or they might get transferred their jobs from one from Shanghai to Beijing to Guangzhou to whatever. As that happened, then they had fellowships, they would study the Bible together, pray together, but they didn't function like official churches. The 80% were in rural churches because all of the large house church networks started in rural. Areas, mm-hmm. and so then what they did is they worked in the fields, they worked on their on their farms, and then maybe for half the year they would have their bicycles and they would go out and do coal portage work, sell Bible portions quietly. They would do uh, preaching. They would help uh, help churches, maybe do some baptisms, and they would help help in the ministry. Well, all that changes when a, a several hundred million people shift from the rural areas to the urban areas, and the churches all begin growing in the urban areas, and they're leaving all the places where these traditional uh, house church movements had started, and instead they're now in the big cities, and now the husband and wife are both having to work because it's so expensive living in the apartments. So before, they could maybe live for $75 a month in a little place and maybe sleep sleep in a barn and and they could just uh, ride their bikes around and everything was very cheap but now if they have to um, uh, even riding a motorcycle or or there, there's going to be some some additional expense and if they're if they're living in the big cities they have to pay for all that so what ha- what happened is you had all these hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of Christians who were the lieutenants who were all the workers um, in these large house church networks now they have all moved to the cities, now they don't have any time to do any church work. And so what's, what happened is a number of the movements maybe had 7 million, and then when they all moved to the cities, now they're down to 4 million wow. because they lost so many. It left the leaders in the dust because they were not prepared for all the changes that were taking place.
1: So how has the church come through those changes and, and still stayed Active and stayed vibrant. Sometimes they've had to
2: make real compromises, but I'll, but I'll say it probably in a good way. I'll give you an example. Um, we worked with we still well. I worked for many years with a house church network that would not work with anybody in the above ground church. So because they were in the underground church and they had had so many of their people uh, ratted on and either killed or put in prison or bad things happened uh, be, because people would um, pretend that they were a Christian and then uh, turn, tell them the, pull, turn them in. Yep. So that that happened all the time. And so they they could not have relations with anybody in an above-ground church. And so... Uh, for years I could only work with above, with below ground churches because if they knew that I was working with above ground churches then I was history. I could I could <laughs> no out. longer have a, uh, have a relationship with them well but but what happened was they began to find out that you know some of these guys in the above ground church are really good guys. In fact, um, I'll give you one example. one pastor we were working with this pastor had been put in prison four times for, for um, his work by the government. And so he was not loved by by the local police. So they, they then began to work with him, and they found out that, that he really was a good guy. And they found out that there were things that he, they could help them with. One, for example, is they they would allow um, all the young people of their church from, from the rural areas to come to the city where they were near the coast, and to stay for 3 months and make make do it like a internship like a summer internship oh, yeah. and they could stay in the church in the building cuz they had they had a building to be in and as long as it was for a Christian activity, it was okay to, to do. They weren't doing anything to break the law. He would do this.
1: It kind of gave them cover, basically. It gave them
2: cover. I had one situation where I needed to get some money to uh, w- one of the pastors in the underground church. Well, I gave the money to, the, to this pastor in the above-ground church just to see what he would do. Totally honest, he gave the money to them. They were very happy with his help. And so they began to see that maybe they, maybe instead of just being automatically biased against everybody, that they maybe could pick and choose. Maybe they could say, well, we can't trust these people for right. these reasons, but these are ones from the under, above ground church. We can trust them. And so it began to open up a whole new horizon that there could be other allies that, that, uh, that, that they really uh, would we're be on the
1: same team. <laughs> we're all
2: on the same team. So, well, so that was thrilling for them to see. That was a very
1: important lesson for them to learn. So how are the key ways that we can pray for the churches in China right now? I've already told you that um,
2: uh, they're under a lot of stress. And what's at the heart of it is a Chinese nationalism that is wanting— basically everybody of the West out as quick as possible. I mean, they would even have liked it as soon as the end of 2020. But uh, COVID came along and, you know, did did, did a number. But um, we still have more than 90 percent of all the Westerners out of the country. That doesn't mean that you can't go in as business people and do that. But we're talking about people living there and living full time as a business or living full time as a teacher or in some other kind of ministry. That's just not possible. People uh, right and left, you know, just had to leave. Uh, A Chinese person could be put in prison for even talking with a Westerner, talking with a Westerner on the phone, having a Westerner in their home, certainly if if they were caught running in a training event. With uh, us training uh, uh Chinese house church pastors or things like that, and so it it was just way too dangerous for us to be there and for them to be in any kind right. of contact with us and Then they began to say, "You need to know that we have talked to uh, uh, Christians who were in the very, very small minority." back in the 60s, during the Cultural Revolution, back when there were less than a million Christians in the country. And they said, when Mao had his little his little red book and was urging all of us to worship him as God, and he was wanting us to destroy all the um, social icons of, of the past, cultural past and so forth, and when all of that was taking place, actually... The the time now in China is rougher on everybody, but especially the Christians, than even then. Wow! Even then, during the Cultural Revolution, and so people don't understand how hard it is, and uh, they can't even say anything because if they if they say anything to. Um, Try and get some public attention, well, then they 're going to have their head cut off i 'm not maybe not literally but but uh it, they're going to get knocked right back down right, so people are uh, are hesitant, everybody is scared, and um so the way to pray for the, the the church is pray that they would be bold, that they would be brave, that they would do things that is really going to cost them now
1: money i 'm going to shift gears and I want to talk about two countries before we finish up. one is Myanmar. Uh, we are seeing Myanmar in the news. We're seeing the unrest. We're seeing protesters being killed. What is that meaning for Christians, for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar?
2: Well, um, it's it's going to mean uh, it's going to go rougher for the Christians. And many of the Christians are in, in the tribal areas. Uh, some of them uh, they're not Christians, but some of the ones that have suffered the most are actually Muslim tribal peoples in the far north. And many of them, I think by the hundreds of thousands, have fled into Bangladesh to to escape. And so you have many tribals who are suffering. You have um, a very uh, difficult situation with their current president, who has now been um, put back in, in house arrest. I think she spent a lot of her adult yeah. life in house arrest. Yeah. Uh, even uh, winning the Nobel Peace Prize has still not kept her um, out of out of trouble. What you have is the beginning where it seemed like it was going to be peaceful and for the first days it was peaceful and then a few people got killed and then pretty soon it just kind of gets out of hand and then hundreds get killed in a given day and uh, and that's where we're with now. Uh, the one who's now uh, in charge uh, that that's uh, taken over as as the um, military leader. Uh, he uh, initially had said it would be uh, a year or less, and at least and at least within a year, we'll get it back into um, uh, normal relations and everything will be just fine. Well, that's what we were told. Um, and the last time they said that, it was 49 years later right. uh, when, uh, when they finally gave up control. So who knows how long it's going to be? We've heard this before. And so it could very well be a long... Long dark uh, night again
1: for uh, and Myanmar. During those forty-nine years, Christians were persecuted. So, an important time to pray for the church in Myanmar, uh, to pray for our brothers and sisters there who are looking at this and saying, "Well, things are likely going to get worse for us." Yeah.
0: Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of VOM Oz Radio. Voice for the Persecuted.